0: Those first two passages are the reason Jesus will say the following. Luke 20, verses 41 to 44. Then he said to them, how can they say that the Messiah is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David thus calls him Lord. How can he be his son? It's a good question. And Jesus has answered that throughout his life. Pray with me. God, may we pay attention to what's going on, that the scripture has multiple layers. And as the years go on and we keep reading the text, there are some texts that are just enduring. They say eternal things that are the way they are forever and ever. And other texts, we can keep mining them and never come to the bottom. So God, may we go deeper each week, each day, each hour, each moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Robert Karrison is... Commentary, Eating Your Way Through Luke's Gospel, uh, says this. In Luke's Gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. <laughs> Sounds like a Presbyterian. And it's no small insight that Jesus uses table fellowship to advance discipleship. Jesus is using something that people participate in every single day, multiple times a day. They're snacking, they're sitting down to a meal, they're going to one or they're coming away from one. I always think, you know, people talk about camping as being this great thing. And for those of you that love it, God bless you. Um, I camped a lot as a kid. I backpacked a lot. I've done a lot of that stuff. And I I love it. But What I learned about camping was you're either preparing for a meal or cleaning up from a meal and getting ready for the next meal so you can clean up from that meal. It takes all day long of preparing. I I don't know how many of you that do the meals really feel like you've been on vacation when you've been camping. But it's that sense that Jesus uses something that's such an everyday event, this idea of eating together, to teach people what it means to be a disciple, to be a child of God, to be someone who recognizes God's greatness. The Pharisees and their scribes notice it. Listen to what they say. The Pharisees and John the... Uh, this is, this is a, they're making a contrast. The Pharisees and John the Baptist disciples fast and pray, but your disciples eat and drink. contrast the two, fast and pray, eat and drink, which one's more spiritual? Well, in our mind, it'd be fasting and praying. That's what we've been taught. Most of us don't do enough of it, so we feel guilty about it. But still, fasting and praying would be the more important thing. But what do we do more of? Eat and drink. And so it's that sense that, that where is the more spiritual thing happening? Well, both places. And just as much in the eating and drinking as in the fasting and praying. We just simply need to pay attention. My, the people I've been reading, Krosman and Wolf, on this commentary talk about this uh, the fourth chapter of Luke as, as Jesus' mission statement. The statement, your disciples eat and drink, they don't fast and pray is not a compliment to Jesus. It's an accusation that they're not spiritual enough. And Jesus, in the fourth chapter, had his statement of faith, or his mission statement, and where he's proclaiming what we call in scripture the the year of jubilee. You can read about it in the Old Testament. There's There's no indication that Israel ever practiced jubilee, which was every 70 years everything changed again. Everything. If you owned a piece of property, it went back to the original owner. Oh my goodness. Sounds like communism. It might be. Um, But Jesus does that. It goes back to the original owner. If um, you own land and you've been, been planting it and sowing it for a long time, it says that your land gets to rest. Novel thought. It's something, I don't know anything about farming. My wife grew up on a a farm on a ranch in in northern Minnesota. And so there are some fields you plant and then some fields you leave fallow. So they can, the nourishment in them can, can get replenished and they can start again. Isaiah 58, Isaiah 61 and elsewhere talk more about this celebration of Jubilee, it's, it's about release and liberation, release from debt. If somebody owed you money, you forgave their debt. Wow. Really? God tells us to do that. Yeah. God tells you to do that. To be liberated from sin and sickness, from the devil and to be restored to the land itself. All of that is part of Jubilee. Prisoners are set free. All of that is what Jesus says his mission is. Jesus declares that the time has come and he's bringing it. You cannot make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them, can you? And so Jesus is talking to them about what he just talked about in our Bible two chapters before. It could have been weeks or months before. But it seems right there for us to read. This last year, our uh, last 18 months, our household has been involved in a lot of, of feasting. Um, and we've had uh, engagements and weddings and, and graduations and and all kinds of things, and then babies coming, and and goodness gracious, every time we turned around, there was another celebration, and more food. And we've been having more food, has been our theme, maybe for 18 months. And then our daughter comes from back east this last three weeks, and Chelsea's been with us, and and T goes, we really have to, we should watch what we eat. She's the good one in the household. She's the the good voice. I'm not. And, and, uh, and, But, you know, there she is, and and we want to spend time together. We don't want to spend time preparing and, and cleaning up all the time. And so there was a lot of feasting while she was here. There will be time for fasting. I'm not sure when that is, but it should happen sooner than later in my case. But it wasn't the time. It's time for everyone, particularly those that have not, those that are the lost and have lost, to enjoy the table in the kingdom of God, to find reprieve and release and liberation from the curse of the garden. People need to celebrate, and we need to celebrate people, and particularly those that have not. So this week... You've got a list out there in the narthex for our meals. Let me tell you this. It will cost you a lot less to fill up a box because the Presbyter has given us money to go out and buy things. So we're buying staples each week that will fit in that box. You're going to buy things that are a little bit more perishable and it'll cost you a lot less. And you could, if you were doing one or two families, you could do three or four. It's a time for celebration. It's a time for jubilee. It's a time to pay attention. We're to get back to the garden. I shared that not long ago as a, as a verse from a song from, uh, um, from uh, Woodstock, right? This is the song. Uh, written by Joni Mitchell. And here's the line I find so interesting in her song. It says, we are stardust, stardust. we are golden. We are caught in the devil's bargain. And we've got to get ourselves back to the garden. We are caught in the devil's bargain. And what Jesus is trying to teach us in the feasting and fasting in the middle of these stories is the devil's bargain is just the opposite of what Jesus came to bring. Jesus intends to restore the kingdom beyond even what the garden produced. And you and I get to be part of it. He's teaching on many layers. It's no mistake that in chapter 6, Jesus is in the field with his disciples getting a snack on the go with his disciples. And you would think, and it feels like, the big deal is that Jesus has, is working on the Sabbath, taking ears of corn, and his disciples are doing the same, and they're just having a snack because they were hungry, and they're just going through the field. So it's good for you to know th- several things. One is it's not against the rules, that, that there was nothing about uh, it wasn't considered work to do what Jesus was doing. So if you've heard that your whole life, maybe this is something new. It really wasn't a problem. It was only a problem that wanted to make this about the rules. They are misreading the rules. We have a lot of that currently in our country and in the world. People misreading the way things are supposed to be. And that Jesus time, it was the same. So it wasn't really... A rule breaking moment they weren't stealing because there were provisions in the Old Testament for people if they were hungry to, to glean from fields and to have something they couldn't harvest and store it up and they couldn't do that but they could have a snack it was okay that's how my dad told me it was okay for him to take peanuts in the store from the peanut bin and eat them while he was shopping it, no really it's okay I thought it was stealing, but that was different apparently to him. Um, And so the land is the Lord's and it's for the provision of people. And that's what Jesus is trying to teach one more time. We're getting back to the garden in a sense. As we remember our connection with the land, Jesus is demonstrating that we're directly connected back to it and this is a good thing and God has ordained it. It's all right. So as they go through the field and they're taking grains of off the, off the vine eating them, Jesus at another level is saying, you're connected to this. You're connected to all of God's good things from the beginning, from the garden on, the garden hasn't stopped producing. Some of my favorite places to eat are what have been called farm-to-table or farm-to-fork restaurants. I remember going to the not uh, going to the farmers' market, which is on Sundays in uh, San Clemente, and uh, not serving in a church. I just. Dee and I went down just to see how things were going. People were having a great time. But what was really fun to watch were the the different chefs in town. A few of them were down at the farmer's market on Sunday and they were gathering herbs and vegetables and stuff for their restaurant for the week. And they go there every week and they have certain things they want to get from certain growers. And um, it's this idea of being locally sourced that is so interesting. It reminds us that our connection to what we eat and the environment around us and what we produce in the environment directly impacts what we eat. That, that we're not aloof from our environment. We're in it. And being closer to the food and to the farm, which is hard for us that have grown up in suburban and urban lives. It's hard for us to know what it's like to be that connected to what we put on our table. But a farmer's market can help. Locally grown food can help. Um, It's right in our own backyard. We can understand legislation maybe that needs to happen to protect um, our gardens and the gardens of others who live nearby. Our well-being, our health, the health of our fellow humans is affected by what we eat and how we grow it. I'm curious curious not to eat it, but lab-grown meat... I don't know. It just sounds gross. Uh, if you haven't heard about it, you might Google it, you might not. Um, but Jesus is reminding us that all of this is from God. Even the snack. Even the kind bar that you eat. I don't eat kind bars, they're way too healthy. But, but you know, the snack of 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 cashews or almonds or whatever it is that you put in your mouth. God gave you that. This theme's gonna get I'll just hammer at it for the whole summer so you don't have to come every week. But but it's that sense of the fact that Jesus is constantly reminding us that each meal represents the kingdom of God, even one on the go. I remember the advice to families as we had a young family and were, um, as they were growing up, by about, you know, we were always told, never, uh, always have at least one meal a day as a family. Don't skip that. Yeah, tell that to parents of junior high kids and high school kids. By the time they hit those ages and maybe earlier, it's really hard. It was such a guilt inducing statement that if you're a good parent, you would make sure you sat down to a meal with your kids every day. And I thought, well, um, that happens most of the time, but not all the time. It was hard to do. Meals on the go, the snack on the Sabbath. It's okay. Wish someone had told me that years ago. It's all right. And in fact, it represents the kingdom of God. It is in and of itself a spiritual moment. Why? Because it represents all the provision of God for us, all of it. For the land that God made at the beginning and separated it from the water, made dry land, put animals on the dry land, give us plants and other kinds of food. That snack, that little snack, represents all those things. Every meal is a chance to experience what it means to be home. Not necessarily home in our houses and family in terms of maybe nuclear family or immediate people. But to be at home as the people of God, as the children of God. Every meal is a chance to experience your eternal home. It isn't something that happens when you die. It's something that happens now. It's this strange moment where we talk about the fact that Jesus is inviting us to participate in in the kingdom of God in the moment. And it feels like in between meals we forget but every meal is intended to bring us back to the fact that we are now at home in the kingdom of God. But in between, we can be as lazy as the disciples. We can forget that Jesus just fed 5,000 people and look at Jesus and say, well, what are we going to eat? Relax, Craig, it'll be okay. There will be another meal. Really? When I go to camp, it's a funny experience for me. I always feel the urgency of eating as much as I can at every meal because I'm not in charge of the next meal and I'm not sure it's going to show up when I want to eat it. And by the time I'm done with camp, I've gained a lot of weight. Um, But that sense of being at home So every meal is intended to draw us right back into that home, right back into that garden. Every time, even a snack in the field on the way to go, is simply to draw us back into the reality the kingdom of God is right here. And yet in between, we also know that the kingdom of God isn't here, that there are people who are hungry and people who go without, and that the things of the kingdom of God are not here yet. It's what we call in the... um, in theology, um, uh, the already and the not yet. The, the kingdom of God is already here. We have glimpses of it. But it's not completely fulfilled. It's not yet complete. So what these texts are telling us, and I think what Jesus wants us to know and what I want us to know this morning is can you make room at the table Not merely to recognize that the kingdom of God is present in your life in everyday moments. In that oatmeal in the morning to the salad in the evening. And everything in between. God is there and trying to connect you to the values of the kingdom. All of them. Just through this simple taking of food in your imagination you're to go back to Luke 4 and think of all the good things that God does release of the captive sight to the blind lame people walking all the things that this world desperately needs you experience a glimpse and a taste of it at every setting To recognize that is our job. So can you make room at the table for that reality to take place, not only for you, but for your neighbor? Well, who's your neighbor? Any person that God presents to your senses, any human being that God presents to you is your neighbor. neighbor is not somebody you necessarily like. It's not necessarily somebody you have something in common with. Your neighbor is not necessarily somebody who looks like you. Your neighbor is not necessarily somebody who speaks your language. Your neighbor is any human being that God puts in your path, in your way, presents to your senses. That's your neighbor. That's my neighbor anyone that God puts before me. That could even be the person with the little sign as you're leaving the Costco parking lot who's asking for something. That may be your neighbor. That is your neighbor. So I have four questions for you. And the first one is this. What would Jesus' declaration of Jubilee mean for our neighborhood and our city? And I know we live in a lot of different cities and neighborhoods. And maybe I should say your city and your neighborhood. How is Jesus inviting you and me to participate in his mission of Jubilee? So one of the things that happens in a meal is simple. It's hospitality. You welcome someone into your world. Or if they've invited you to their space, to a meal or to out or whatever, they've invited you into their world. And Jesus is saying, whichever one it is, receive it. It's a gift. By extending hospitality to people you participate in the mission of Jubilee. Welcome them in, you share the garden, you comment on the garden, you're grateful. Second question is this, how can we eat in ways that help us to be mindful of the places from which our food comes. I do think it's important. I've shared with you a little bit of my friend Fuzz Kitto. Fuzz is from Australia. He works in the area of um, human trafficking uh, to try to, to end that. He works with governments all over the world, particularly in the South in, in the Pacific Southwest. And... Um, he uh, uh, has worked with um, governments all through Europe and in Africa in trying to make sure that the people who are growing food are not people that are being trafficked. That it's not child labor, it's not slavery. And it's important for us to pay attention to that. There's a, um, there's a market online you can go to called Thrive Market. And if you want to buy some really good chocolate, it's a great place to buy it. Really big chocolate bars. And um, we've shared them on at special times at Christmas and stockings and things like that. But it's a great place to buy things that are slave-free. And the cocoa industry and the coffee industry and the garment industry are all huge slave trafficking industries. Less so, since people like Fuzz have worked on it, but they still have challenges because it takes so many different steps to bring something to market and the workforce is hidden. So pay attention to what you eat and where it's from. Jesus honors hunger. This is the third question. How is Jesus inviting you to honor the hunger of those around you? And you can assume hunger means physical hunger, like what we do on uh, every two weeks. Uh, this church, I don't know how many of us are here this morning, but this church should be able to do at least that many meals for other people, boxes of food. I, I don't know why we don't do 100. We've been thinking that we might have to cancel the work altogether because there are weeks when we only get about 15 or 16 people to contribute. And some of them are contributing more than one box of food. And it's not enough for the people in need. It's not intended to be guilt-inducing, but to say to you, how is Jesus inviting you to honor the hunger of those around you? And then finally this. In what ways is it helpful to consider that the time we are in as the kingdom of God is already here but not yet? That feasting and fasting are both necessary. That the kingdom of God is here, we can go to a table and we can celebrate. But we know that there is need around us that requires fasting and prayer and generosity and goodness? In what ways is it helpful to live in the tension of these things? I leave you with these questions. They're not solved, but they can be. Pray with me. God, these things are not simple social solutions. Um, but they can be. We have so many people in between all the things that we're trying to solve, so many opinions, so many agendas, so many different groups of people that think they're the ones that are going to have to give up something. Why isn't the other person doing it? And you have simply asked us to respond to what should we do. How can we be of assistance? So God, eliminate the detracting voices that paralyze us from helping and allow us to celebrate and to extend the celebration to those who don't experience it. In Jesus' name, amen.